They did an awesome job, didn't they? Yes. I'm going to share briefly from Luke chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in the middle of when the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary, telling that she's going to have a baby. And she's surprised by this because she's a a virgin. So she says in verse 34, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So the last few weeks of Liberty, we've been looking at this account and looking at the two babies that are involved in this account, Jesus and John the Baptist. And then today we're going to look at some of the reactions uh, of the different people that encounter Jesus and uh, what it means for us. But pause for a moment and ask, like, who or what were they reacting to? A baby, right? And why were they reacting this way? Because they realized who this baby was. Now, sometimes an angel had told them, like Gabriel told Mary. Sometimes they had a dream, like Joseph did. Sometimes the Holy Spirit filled them, like it did with Elizabeth, and and the Holy Spirit gave uh, her insight. Sometimes, like with the Magi, a star had indicated it. The Son of God was sent in the flesh as a baby to redeem God's people. And these people knew it, and they believed it. Do you know it and believe it? Because their reactions showed it. Now consider the infant Jesus as a baby and John the Baptist as well. Remember last week, if you were here, um, we were talking about how big was Jesus at this time when Mary went to talk and see her cousin Elizabeth. He was probably no bigger than the size of a poppy seed. That's pretty small. And John, he's a bit bigger, about one and a half pounds, because Elizabeth, it says, is six months pregnant with him. Now let me ask you a question. Do do these babies, and babies in general, do they have worth because of what they do or because of who they are? They have an intrinsic worth simply because they're babies. They're part of the human race. Because guess what? In terms of what they do, um, they're not doing much more than sleeping and eating and dirtying up diapers, right? Of course, they're putting smiles on our faces as well, right? They're doing that. But they have value not because of what they do, but because of who they are. They have worth, something not because of what they do, because, again, of who 
they are. And, and, and what, what are they? They're persons. They're human beings, just like you and me. And because of that, all of us, each one of us here, have value. We have worth. Again, not because of what we do, not because of the job we hold, not because of the titles that we might carry, but because we're members of the human race, which God tells us he's made in his own image. I have a picture behind me of of the tallest man and the shortest woman. The words tallest man, he's about eight feet, three inches tall. That's pretty tall. And she is two feet and three quarters of an inch tall. Now, is, is he more valuable than she is because he's taller and he's bigger? No, right? I mean, they have this, the same value. Th- their value is independent of their size. Size doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're the tallest or the smallest. Whether you're eight foot three or you're that tiny little poppy seed, size doesn't matter. Our level of development doesn't matter. Think about Jesus is going to be doing a whole lot of growing for the next nine months before he's born, and even after that for the next 15 or 20 years. Over those 15 or 20 years, his value doesn't increase as he gets older. His worth doesn't change. Even being an unborn week or two old, he has value. Here's what it says in Luke. At the age of 12, this is what the scriptures tell us. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So even as 12, he's still growing. He's still growing physically, spiritually. Think about a four-year-old girl. She's less developed than a 14-year-old girl. Her reproductive system hasn't fully developed yet. But we don't hold that against her or think less of her just because she's four. We don't think 20-year-olds are, are, are more valuable than 10-year-olds since they're smarter or stronger. No, our level of development doesn't matter when we talk about value or worth. So wherever we find ourselves on this, on this scale, the young aren't more valuable than the old, nor are the old more valuable than the young. All have value. Does anyone know where the hottest place on the physical earth is? Most of you might guess like the Sahara or something. Of course, it's going to be a desert. It's actually the Loot Desert in Iran. The hottest temperature they've ever recorded there, 159 degrees. Now that's hot. Okay. Now let's compare that with the coldest place on earth. It's eastern Antarctic plateau in Antarctica. There's about a 300 degree swing there because in Eastern Antarctic Plateau of Antarctica, it is negative 137 degrees Fahrenheit. Now that's cold. But if you lived in the hottest area on there, by the way, we're probably not making vacation plans for either of those places, right? I checked Airbnb and like it's totally like open and free if you want to go there. But if you lived in the hottest area on this earth or you lived on the coldest area on this earth, like that doesn't affect your value, does it? Like your location of where you're at, that doesn't affect how much you're worth. Your environment doesn't matter when it comes to your value or your worth. I mean, think about it. How does where you are have any bearing on who you are? Think of Jesus even, if we followed the story out, like where does he end up getting born and placed? He's placed in a manger like a food trough for animals. I mean, that's a pretty pathetic environment. 
But that didn't make him less valuable. That didn't take away from his, from his worth. So did his location make him less valuable? No. So environment doesn't matter. Whether we live in the hottest climate, the coldest climate, whether we're outside the womb or whether we're inside the womb. Our environment doesn't matter when it comes to the worth that we have. What about our degree of dependency? Think about it. Jesus, he's born in this manger. He's the son of God. Yet, yet he has to depend on his mom and his, and his earthly dad, really his stepdad, Joseph, for what? For nourishment, for sustenance. Mary nursed Jesus. He depended on her. John the Baptist, he sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And he had to depend on his mother, Elizabeth, and his dad, Zechariah, to feed him, change him, clothe him, and take care of him. Both had to depend on their parents to take care of them. But just because they were dependent on their parents, again, it doesn't make them less of a person. It didn't make them of less worth. I mean, this baby, this newborn baby, pretty dependent, right? And I saw some, some moms and dads running out during the Christmas service, which we love kids here, by the way, so crying and, and screaming and, and all that, we're, we're good with that, all right? But I saw some moms having to take their kids out, right? Because they're dependent. So the baby is pretty dependent. Newborns and toddlers still depend on their parents. I, I think some of my kids, my youngest is 11, like he still depends on me. Maybe my teenagers do too a little bit. But newborns and toddlers still depend on their parents to provide nutrition in a safe environment. What about the other person, the person in the hospital bed, hooked up to all the wires and different things? This person's pretty dependent, right? What about people who depend on pacemakers or insulin? Without them, they die. They depend on those things. Are those people less valuable? No, are they less human? No, of course not. Does dependence upon another determine our worth or value? No. If someone has uh, kidney disease and they're on dialysis, does that make them less of a person? No. This little baby, 20-week-old baby in the womb, she's pretty dependent too. But she still has an intrinsic value. She still has worth. It doesn't matter if she has to depend on her mom. She has value and worth. So hear me, no human being, regardless of size, level of development, environment, or their dependency, is excluded from the community of human persons. No human being should be considered to have less value or be less of a person due to their size, level of development, environment, or their dependency. So when we consider the baby Jesus, I mean, think about it for a moment. God sends his very own son into this world. And he enters it in, in one way, in one sense, he enters it naturally through childbirth. And in another sense, he enters it supernaturally because Mary's a virgin. She didn't have relations with anyone. And look at people's reactions to this baby. In verse 40, 44, here's what it says. This is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's John the Baptist. That's John the Baptist. And remember, how, how big is Jesus at that time? He's just the size of a poppy seed. Yet he knows, and what's John's job? Prepare the way for Jesus. Even inside the womb, John already starts doing his job. Announcing that the Savior has come. 
Remember, the first person to recognize Jesus was an unborn baby. An unborn baby sees Jesus for who he really is. God cherishes all human life from conception to the grave. If we take one chapter and look one chapter over, we see how the angels deal with this. It says in in verse 9, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And then here's the reaction of all the angels. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels, they're rejoicing, right? I mean, they're excited. They're seeing Jesus born, and they know that he is the Savior for all men. They're rejoicing. What about the shepherds? Well, we read about it just a second ago. Uh, At first it says they're filled with great fear in verse 9. That's understandable. They're out in the middle of the night. And these angels, this angel shows up, freaks them out. But what is their reaction? It says, after, after they say, glory to God in the highest, the angels are saying that. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So what's their reaction? I mean, they're excited as well. They want to know more about this, this King Jesus. They want to know about more of the announcement that the angels just make. So what do they do? They react in faith and go in haste to find this baby that's just been announced to them. All these people reacting to a little baby. Then further on, when Jesus is brought to the temple to be, uh, to be dedicated, essentially... It says in in chapter 25, we hear this story, and and a lot of times during Christmas you don't hear about these two people we're going to mention, but one of them, his name is Simeon. And it says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the, person, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So he puts his eyes on the baby Jesus, and he knows this is the salvation that God has promised to Israel and all the Gentiles included. How old is he at this time? The baby Jesus, just eight days old. Very small baby. But Simeon's reaction, praising God and breaking out with a prophetic announcement. One more person plays into this picture. Her name is Anna. And a couple of verses later, it says, There is a prophetess, Anna, 
the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she's praising God too. She believes. She believes. What about you? What's your reaction to Jesus? Their reactions show they believed. Simeon goes on and, and, and says later in the same little section, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And that's what happened when Jesus came, right? The rising and fall of many. Some believed and trusted him. Some rejected him. Which will he be for you? The fall or the rising? You know, in one of my favorite Christmas movies, maybe my, my favorite Christmas movie ever, A Christmas Carol, there's that scene after the ghost of Christmas past has visited Scrooge. You know, and he's, he's like a doubter, and, and he won't believe what just happened. So he says his famous word, right? Bah, humbug, right? And he's like, just a bit of last night's undigested beef. You remember that in the, in the play? And then he says, there's more gravy about you than the grave. It's a vision to be taken to heart or simple indigestion. You tell me. He's uncomfortable, so he excuses the truth. And sometimes when we're presented with truth, we find uncomfortable to us. I mean, we find ways to like dismiss them, to write them off as something else. Sometimes we hear these truths and we want to ignore them. We want to brush them off. We want to make excuses of why we shouldn't believe. Don't do so today. Because God offers you an eternal life through that little baby that he sent. Because that baby grew up to be a man and to live a perfect life and die on a cross bearing our sins. We, we've sinned against a holy and righteous God. And God says the punishment for that is being away from him forever. The punishment is having his wrath poured out on us. But God sent a way for the wrath to be diverted. God sent a way so that the wrath was poured out on his son instead of us. How, how do we receive that? Christ has, has our sins on him, and we need his righteousness. Well, through faith in him, he grants us forgiveness of sins. Through faith in him, he gives us his own righteousness. Because even if our sins were completely wiped out, we would just be almost like in a state of moral neutrality. We don't have righteousness even if we wiped out our sins. We need the righteousness and holiness of God himself in order to be in his presence. Christ does that for us. He takes our sins and he gives us something back, his righteousness. How does he accomplish that? It says it in Ephesians 10. For by grace we have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. So he, God's grace is poured out upon us through faith. We trust in Christ for what he's done for us. We realize, man, I, we couldn't do it ourselves, but that he's done it. And that through him, we have offered to us the gift of eternal life. And we trust, we trust him 
that what he did was enough. We turn away from our sins and we turn towards him. And what we see when we turn is he's been waiting there the whole time, seeking after us in many different ways, longing for us to come back to the Father. That is the gift that I encourage each one of us to take this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that you sent him to redeem your people. We ask even now, God, that people in this room would trust in you for the first time, that you'd give them the gift of faith, that they would trust in your mercy and your grace, that you would pour out upon them, that you would regenerate their souls, shower them with your love, give them hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.